Good morning, everyone. This morning we are in Matthew 21, and we are on Palm Sunday. We are in the the Sunday that Jesus walked into Jerusalem, and the week of his crucifixion is upon us, the Passion Week. And when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he sent them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Zechariah. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of a burden. And the disciples did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. And most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees, spreading them in the road. Now, this was a significant change in the ministry of Jesus. Um, this could be pictured back to kings of Israel when they became kings riding into town in such a way. Jehu was one of those kings that did something similar to this, and it symbolized being a king and, of course, fulfilled a prophecy about the Messiah coming and this was going to gain a lot of attention and did gain a lot of attention. And, and people were marveling at Jesus coming into town and laying their cloaks on the road. Now, this was going to collect a ton of attention <clears throat> excuse me, from the Jews and the Pharisees and just from the whole city of Jerusalem. And, you know, many times throughout Jesus' ministry, he sought to, even though he was doing amazing things, somewhat keep a low profile. But in this particular case, he knows now he's headed to the cross. And, you know, I think he even knows he's probably going to die on Passover Friday, so five days away. And he's no longer um, taking those kind of precautions. And they were shouting, the people, Hosanna, save us now is what that means, to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us now. And that, that's interesting, isn't it? Um, very likely looking for a king to come and to help the Jews regain prominence. Uh, instead, the Jewish people now are in Jerusalem, but they don't have a country. It's not their city. The Roman Empire is in charge, Pontius Pilate, the governor, and the Jews are allowed to worship, but they are not. Um, it's not their country or they're not in control of the land. And they're hoping to be restored. And one day, uh, through a lot of pain and suffering, uh, Israel is going to be restored in the sense of Old Testament prophecy. But it's not going to happen now. But they're in a sense, I don't know if they know exactly what to anticipate the people of the land, but they're proclaiming a king right into the town. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred. See, this just created quite a reaction. Who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple. And talk about um, raise, you know, not keeping a low profile. 
And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And, you know, at the temple there were a lot of money changers. People would come to uh, buy a sacrifice or to give to the temple, give a temple tax, and they had their foreign currency, so there'd be money changers to change it into the currency of the land. But they were, people were profiteering off the temple, and Jesus felt it was inappropriate and, and did something about it. And again, this was only going to continue to raise that bar of attention and prepare for uh, his arrest and crucifixion. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. That's pretty incredible. I mean, Sometimes you read statements like that, it's like, you know, in one sentence here, verse 14, and imagine what that what must have been like. I mean, he already had a lot of attention for what he was doing, but then to have the power to heal people right in their midst. Oh, Lord, how amazing. I wish I could be there to see that. I'm glad I have the testimony of it. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna, save us now to the son of David, they became indignant. See, the religious leaders, are they don't like the attention. Uh, he's, been, he's been promoting changes to their faith, or you know, Christianity is about to come on the rise. He's doing things differently than what they teach. The crowds are attracted to him. He's taking away from their prominence, and they're threatened by it. And then they say to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself. And Jesus is quoting an Old Testament passage from Psalm 8 that he is referring to himself that the people of the land are declaring his praises. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. Bethany was just over the hill of the Mountain Olives, not far away, and it seemed to be a home base this last week where he was staying. Now in the morning, when he was returning to the city, he became hungry, and seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only, and he said to it, No longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. What a cool thing. I mean, he's showing off his power to his disciples, building their faith through all of this. Seeing this, the disciples were amazed and asked, how did this fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus answered instead of them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, and you will not only do what was done to this fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. And this seems to be something that God inspired Matthew to write about. You know, you remember blind Bartimaeus. You remember um, the woman who touched the tassels of Jesus' garment. And it's like when people cried out to him in prayer, he responded. And he he's teaching here that there's power in prayer and power in believing and all these things you ask in prayer believing 
you will receive. And I've been challenged in my, my own life. There's something that I'm praying for, for a family member. And I, I'm, I'm, I just want to take this instruction from our Lord and believe in the prayer being answered and cry out to him and, you know, in desperation, literally like, Lord, please do this. And to bow down before the Lord. We've talked about that recently. And you know what? I can trust the Lord. I, I believe that there's going to be an answer to this prayer. And that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to believe that it's going to happen. Now, I'm going to trust him no matter what. But that is my desire. And may that be a mountain that you move, Jesus. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Again, they're just really troubled by him. Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, and Jesus is going to kind of play a trick on them because, you know, he explains it. The baptism of John was from what source, he's asking them, from heaven or from men? And they began reasoning among themselves, saying, Well, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, Then why didn't you believe in John the Baptist? But if we say from men, we fear that the people, for they all regard John as a prophet. So they're afraid to say, Oh, he was just a man. And answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. <laughs> you know, and sometimes that's an okay answer. We just don't know. And he also said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Uh, I thought that was really an interesting play. Um, and I don't know, in, in that particular case, you know, maybe he was slow playing a little bit because he, they asked for what authority. He could say, well, I'm God, or my authority is straight from God himself. Um, maybe they would have tried to arrest him that very moment, and he's not quite ready. So he he did what he did in that conversation, which was an interesting one. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Now, this is really good to keep in light. I'm going to pause here for a moment and just say that, you remember the first shall be last, the last shall be first. We've talked about that really recently. And it's really important that you see a distinction between Jews and those who are going to believe in Jesus and become the church. Uh, because Jesus is extremely frustrated with the Jews, in particular the Jewish leader leaders who have rejected him. And many of the things he says are directed towards them. And he continually says he's pleased with just about anybody who will come to him. And that's why he says, you know, the last will be first and the first will be last, because those who come to him, even though they're not part of Israel, they're not Jewish, but they come to him in faith, are going to come to the front of the line. And the ones that were Jewish and part of God's family, who now have rejected the Messiah, are going to be last. In fact, even be left out in, in instances until they turn to Jesus. So this, this actually has a bearing even on what you think of eschatology. Um, the study of last things, what you think of the tribulation, what you think of the rapture. And we're going to be talking a lot more about that at our church. 
For those of you who are not from the church, I'm the pastor of Crossing Community Church in Genesee Depot, Wisconsin. Crossing Community Church. Uh, the website is come to the crossing.org. Come to the crossing.org. And on January 7th, 2024, we're just about at Christmas in 23 here. I'm going to be starting a series in the book of Revelation. I'm actually going to give a preview message on the 31st. You can find those messages on YouTube uh, if you want to follow along. Um, but it's important that if you, if you see how disturbed, frustrated that Jesus is for the Jewish rejection of him, it begins to shape what you think about the tribulation. And if you think it's for the church, or if you think it's for Jews and those who have rejected him. Let's see that at play in these passages here. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. But he answered, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. And the man came to the second and said the same thing, and he answered, I will go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did, his, did the will of his father? They said the first, Jesus said, I'm truly, I say to you, that tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom before you. Now, remember, he's being questioned by the religious leaders. Uh, the chief priests were talking to him. So tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. But John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe in him. Talking about John the Baptist. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe in him. And you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterward so as to believe in him. He's saying, hey, listen, people like tax collectors and prostitutes were listening to John the Baptist and repenting. And people, you know, and Matthew himself, you know, focuses on this. He was a tax collector. And, you know, he invited a bunch of sinners over to his house, and Jesus hung out with all of them. And, of course, these same Pharisees, maybe not the same exact people, but the same group, were like, why are you, you know, hanging out with all these sinners? And Jesus said, I came, uh, you know, I came to save the sick, you know. Um, so listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to the vine growers and went on a journey. So this is now a parable of Jesus going away and one day coming back. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another. And what he's talking about now, he's talking about how prophets have come from God, like John the Baptist and others, to promote the things of God, but a lot of times the Jewish people rejected what they had to say. So the vine growers and his slaves beat one and killed another and stoned a third. And that's what happened to, you know, a lot of Old Testament prophets. Um, you know, they jailed Jeremiah. They, they didn't like what the prophets had to say. Again, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. But afterward, he sent his son. See, now that's Jesus. But afterward, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. 
they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Which is what, now, Jesus came to die, but this is what happened to Jesus. The Jewish leaders wanted him killed for proclaiming that he was of God. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? See, what is, what's going to happen to them for their rejection? And, and I believe it's going to be tribulation. They said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to the vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper season. Jesus said to them, did you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builder rejected became the chief cornerstone. He's talking about himself now. And, and he, they, he was rejected by the builders, the Jews. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. Well, for those of you who know me, you know I've talked a lot about bearing fruit. And, and you know, when we are people of true faith, we will live to bear fruit. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, essentially who rejects Jesus as the Messiah. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they understood that he was speaking about them. When they sought, when they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. So they're... They were concerned about what the people around them would say as they began to arrest him. And here we are in chapter 22, and, you know, it won't be long, and, and they will come and get him. Um, yeah, boy, uh, the great love and grace to be the bride of Christ and part of his family, even though we were sinners, prostitutes, and tax collectors, Gentiles, through faith we've been welcomed to be the bride of Jesus Christ. And I believe he loves his bride. And the people that have been part of God's family who've rejected his son and killed him, Jesus has great frustration and angst for. He's not going to give up on them because there's going to be opportunity for Jews again to accept the Messiah. And many have. Many have turned away from Judaism and turned towards Jesus Christ. But for those who continue to reject them, I believe there's tribulation awaiting them. Now, I will say a word of grace. This is something through study that I've come to believe regarding the tribulation, not being for the church, but being for uh, the Jews who have rejected Jesus and unbelievers. But I will say this. The Old Testament people saw the prophecies of the Old Testament and they gravitated towards the ones about Jesus coming to rule and reign and defeat the Roman Empire and bring about a, a, a new Israel and a new kingdom here on earth. And when Jesus came and made changes and ultimately when he died as a suffering servant, they didn't, they didn't see that. Even though it was in their Old Testament, so it, it is difficult for us, and there should be a measure of humility in all of us, no matter what your eschatological view is, your end times view, is that the Jews didn't see correctly Jesus, and they didn't see 
this age that we're living in right now, the church age, even though they had Old Testament scripture, they had prophecies that they were trying to discern, but they discerned them incorrectly. And in the same way, I would say we have to be humble enough as we try to interpret what's going to happen in the future. We have to be humble enough to know that we may not see it all rightly. It's so much easier now, right, for us to look back on the fulfilled prophecies of Jesus and say, oh, well, we see he was born in Bethlehem. And, oh, yeah, we see Isaiah 53 and that he was a suffering servant. And then he came from a virgin. And now we can go back and point to all the things that happened and say, oh, yeah, look, all of these happened in this way. But before that happened, it was harder for them to see it. And that's where we are now. Before the events of the end times happen, it's really hard for us to perfectly and accurately ascertain exactly how it's going to go. And sometimes I think no matter what view people hold, they act like they've got it all down and know for sure what's going to happen. And I would say that we all have to carry our views humbly, even as we look and eagerly await the return of our Lord. So there's something healthy and good about thinking about the end times coming up. I think it bolsters our faith. And it's okay to have a view, but hold it, hold it, hold it according to the word of God, but hold it humbly knowing that we are not infinite, we're finite. And our understanding sometimes can be limited. So we do the best we can, but uh, we remain humble. And uh, I look forward to joining you again on Matthew 22. God bless you all.